Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. I'm your host, Zach, and today we are joined by Redeemer alumnus and local pastor of Grace Valley Church in Dundas, Pastor Paul Vanderbrink. In this episode, we are going to explore a recent publication from Redeemer titled, What Does Reformed Mean? If this is your first time here, make sure to like and subscribe, share with a friend, and check out some of our other episodes that explore various aspects of Redeemer, Christian education, and so much more. Thank you for making us part of your day. And with that, here we go. Today, Pastor Paul from Grace Valley Church in Dundas is here. Pastor Paul, how are you doing today? I am very, very well. It's cold out, but I'm in a warm office, so I'm okay. Okay, there you go. There you go. Well, Pastor Paul, I'm really excited today. We're, we're, we're taking this subject. We've had this fantastic article that has tons of different uh, contributors to it. We're going to break that down a little bit. But let's before we get into the article, could I just start by uh, you know, getting you, could you maybe talk about how, how did you get roped into this conversation about what does it mean to be reformed? <laughs> Uh, well, I think, um, so I'm a, I'm a Redeemer alumnus. Uh, I'm a lover of Reformed theology and, uh, I believe in the Reformed tradition, I guess you could call it. And, uh, when this article first came out or was being produced, then, uh, I was asked to kind of look through it and share some, uh, thoughts on, on the content and the presentation of it. Uh, as someone who, I guess, uh, works in the church and uh, deals with people on a pastoral level, you know, the, people, some, the school wanted my take on it as uh, as a pastor and as a a not a major Reformed theologian, but a, uh, I guess, a, a pastoral Reformed theologian as well. No, absolutely. That, that makes sense. And, and I'll admit, when I was asked hey, do you think we could do an episode of the podcast about this? I was kind of nervous because I, I don't consider myself, you know, a, a theology bro or, or a, a master of theology. I, I, I view myself very much as someone who wants to engage with theology and engage with, you know, what it means to be reformed and, and Calvinism and neo-Calvinism and all these different terms that sometimes can scare people off. And so in, in this episode today, we're inviting people into the conversation, whether you're a you know high school student watching this thinking about redeemer or you're a parent checking it out or maybe you're a current redeemer student or alumni we're, we're inviting you into the conversation you know to to check check it out the the link to the article will be in the description below if you want to read it for yourself but we are going to read certain parts of it uh, as we go along in this uh, episode of the redeemer podcast here so uh with with that let's uh let, let's get into this so We'll start off with right here at the beginning. So the, the article is titled, What Does It Mean? Uh, what Does Reform Mean? And as a university, the word reformed at Redeemer refers to a rich, living, distinct Christian tradition that acknowledges the breadth and depth of the larger church, including all who belong to Jesus Christ. And Paul, could you maybe start with that is you know, when we talk about the larger church as a whole, are, are we talking about Catholics? Are we talking about Anglicans? Are we talking about Baptists? Are we talking about Pentecostal? What, what exactly are we meeting by the depth of the larger church? Well, I think, uh, I, I think it's talking about all who confess uh, 
Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you're someone who believes in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you are part of the church, the universal church, or sometimes, as Augustine called it, the invisible church. But then, of course, you also have, uh, you know, different expressions of that visibly on earth. So that, you know, Baptist, Anglicans, Pentecostals, uh, Reformed people from Presbyterian backgrounds or Dutch Reformed backgrounds, those are all different traditions uh, within the, the the broader Christian church. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that we're, we're kind of starting with that as a starting point here. And in, in this article, there's kind of five sections to it. And uh, we, we won't necessarily read through every section in this episode here, but we're going to address some key points here. So if we go to kind of the shape of tradition, where it says, the word reformed is too often narrowly defined or associated with a singular doctrine or denomination. As a wider tradition, however, there are three major areas that help shape the uh, contours, history, theology, and philosophy. Could you maybe highlight, you know, and I know that we could go on for hours upon hours about any one of these particular segments, um, but could you maybe, you know, speak to the history, theology, and philosophy that we're coming from in this article? Well, um, obviously, the the Reformed tradition begins uh, with the Protestant Reformation, Um you know, Luther's 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany in 1517 sort of sparked this movement of reform within the Catholic Church. But what ended up happening, obviously, is that uh, um, Luther was excommunicated and others left the Catholic Church to to kind of begin a, a new theological tradition. And the, the whole point of the... Uh, of the project of the Reformation was to uh, recapture the the gospel and the authority of the scriptures, uh, and uh, communicate that to the people in a in a way that they could understand, uh, in a way that could connect with their their day to day lives. So that's sort of the 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 theological or sorry the church the historical uh, aspect of the Reformed tradition. That's where it was born out of, and then of course within that. Uh, different flavors of uh, the Reformed Church were were born. Um, there's the Swiss Reformed Churches. There's the the Continental Dutch Reformed Churches. There's the uh, the British or Presbyterian Churches um, and the Scottish Presbyterian Churches. And then, of course, there's the Puritans within the Anglican movement. But that I don't want to complicate things too much. No, I'll just say you just did an amazing job. Uh, kind of breaking down the history of it. But yeah, absolutely. Move, move on to the, the theology part of it. Sure. So, um, you know, when, during the, the Reformation, there were there were different groups of people reading the Bible in a new way, in a fresh, not in a new way, I shouldn't say that, hopefully in a, in a fresh way, and recovering some of the, the traditions of the church fathers and um, coming to new understandings of, of what the Bible teaches on a whole host of, of things. And within the, the, that Protestant tradition, there, there were born various uh, theological strands. So you have, you know, kind of the Anglican strand, you have uh, the Anabaptist strand, and then you have the Reformed strand, which, um, which developed a number of different, uh, I guess you could call distinctives. Um, that some of which were shared by other uh, Protestant traditions uh, theologically, 
but some of them were were emphasized more by the reform tradition than others. So things like the absolute sovereignty of God, you know, that he is in control of the universe, that his plan is guaranteed, that there is nothing that can uh, surprise God because he has mapped out the story of history from beginning to end. And Jesus Christ is the Lord of that, uh, that story. And he is the hero of that story. That is a big emphasis, emphasis sorry, for uh, the Reformed tradition. Um, we talk about the antithesis between, you know, the sort of Christian worldview and the uh, and any other version of uh, or any other way of understanding reality. We would say that those are, are at odds with one another. But at the same time, we we believe that common grace is a, an important aspect of our theology where all truth is God's truth. And and um, and we need to celebrate God's truth wherever we find it. Uh you know, we, we, we make a big deal of something called the covenant, uh, and uh, we believe that the Bible is kind of a story of a variety of covenants that God has made with human beings, with his people. He entered into relationship with them through covenant, binding himself to us, and the story of those covenants being worked out is what we discover on the pages of scripture. And then, of course, you know, our soteriology or our, our Doctrine of salvation is probably the thing that we're most well known for. <laughs> the doctrines of grace, which are summarized in that acronym TULIP. That's usually what people think about when they think of Reformed theology. But it's it's definitely a, an important part of it. But it is actually just one part of our theological tradition, which is much richer and broader than just um, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. That that's really interesting, and and I am gonna I'm going to be a little selfish here because people who watch know I'm I'm an admissions counselor for Redeemer, so I often get asked the question by parents or sometimes students. So, do to go to Redeemer, do I have to be like a CRC, like a Reformed Christian? And and the the answer I say is no no we're we're reformed in our theology we're not necessarily reformed at, like at the denominational level as an institution w w am I correct to kind of point it out that way? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to take um, if you're going to take a Reformation theology class at Redeemer, you're going to learn about uh, all those theological distinctives I I talked about. You're going to get a lot of your um, a lot of your education from a reformed sort of perspective, but that's more from the philosophy worldview side than it is from the narrow theological tradition side, right? So if, if Christ is Lord over all, then uh, reformed people uh, believe that we need to learn to understand reality from God's perspective and live in uh, obedient response to what God wants from his creation. And that's not just in terms of our personal piety, which is, of course, important and our personal beliefs. But, you know, how do we think about economics? How do we think about politics? How do we think uh, about the environment and science? And how do we think about discover and apply truth? These are all aspects of a reformed worldview that shapes the, the theological, or I should say, sorry, shapes the, 
the educational philosophy of a place like Redeemer. But you don't have to be, you know, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian, uh, but you don't have to be a Presbyterian to go to uh, Redeemer University and, and learn from this perspective. All Christians can learn from this perspective. Very well said. I, I pre- I'll make sure to make that, that a segment of this episode for sure. <laughs> um, going on to uh, kind of the, the next part here. And I, I think often history, people can be like, okay, history is interesting, but it's not necessarily committal. Theology, so you lose some people in. But can we maybe take a dive into kind of the philosophy of this and and I I'll just read this first part here. It says so out of the Reformation and Reform creeds grew a distinctive theological movement that produced a system of thought to help guide faithful living in keeping with what God has revealed about the reality in Scripture in the Netherlands in the 19th century. Reformed thinkers began to emphasize that every square inch of creation exists under the lordship of Christ. Could, could you maybe kind of expand upon that? Well, I might, I might be repeating myself a little bit, but um, so mm-hmm. to, to say, if, if Jesus Christ is Lord over every area of life, then that means that God has designed the world and all of reality to operate a certain way. And a Christian's duty is to explore the world through the lens of Scripture uh, to understand what that design is and then seek to live according to that design. So, you know, um, I had a professor at Redeemer, Al Walters, pretty famous name in the Reformed uh, philosophical tradition, and he talked about structure and direction. And he would say, look, you know, God had these norms that structured reality. And we were called to live uh, uh, in a Godward direction that is reflecting back back his design for reality in the way we live. Because of sin, the direction got skewed. It got messed up. It got twisted. It got warped, whatever you want to call it. And so the, the, the Christian's project the Christian's intellectual project is to understand the various disciplines of intellectual inquiry from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, in order that we bring, we bring, as Paul says in Second Corinthians, we bring, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So that, you know, there is a distinctively Christian way of thinking about political science. There is a distinctively Christian way of thinking about uh, environmental science or uh, literature or, of course, theology and also history. It affects everything we think about and do. And that's what a, a, an institution like Redeemer exists for. It's a, it's a place where serious thinkers try to think about their disciplines from a distinctively biblical perspective hmm okay no that 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 makes a lot of sense and and even you know i i think of it from a you know perspective student point of view like if you're a high school student and and you're you're maybe you're new in your relationship with christ and you want to you know you want to engage in this conversation around reform theology 
I, I think this, you outline a pretty good starting point for it. And, and I, I think sometimes when we're raised in certain traditions, like I, I was raised in a denomination called the Evangelical Missionary Church. And, you know, there are traditions and, and things that, you know, were in, were in my upbringing. And then when I came to Redeemer and, and I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, I'm coming to Redeemer, but like, I'm not a CRCer. Like, I'm not, you know, a reform. reform. I wouldn't have labeled myself a reform Christian at the time. But then when I took the core courses at Redeemer, like the drama of scripture and, and faith and philosophy, and got introduced to reformed worldview, which we'll, we'll, we'll get into worldview because I know that's its own thing. Um, it, it, you know, I was able to kind of enter into this dialogue and this conversation of, oh, I, I may not be a, a, like a Canadian Christian reform in the denominational sense, but I would still say as a follower of Jesus Christ and professing him as Lord, that I am a reformed Christian in that regard. Yeah. So, um, well, we'll so you can back up to your, to the article. Oh, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, I guess, you know, there are different, uh, there are different, types of being reformed you know you can be small r reformed or you can be big r reformed you can you can be reformed in worldview but not not necessarily reformed in theologically now i would argue that i think that there is a a consistency between reformed theology and reformed philosophy that that i i don't think i guess what i would say is is i don't think that another theological system would have produced the reformational philosophical movement um, of the reformed tradition mm. uh, because I think that the things are, they're very closely mm. tied to them. But certainly if you are not from a reformed background, you can embrace and I would hope get excited about the prospect of, you know, not just getting a degree so that you can go pursue your job or your career, but learning how you are a, a servant of Christ, an ambassador of Jesus as a physiotherapist, as a English teacher, mm -hmm. as a, you know, lab technician, whatever it is you're doing. And I think that gives a richer, a, a whole, a much richer uh, and thicker, um, Uh, sense to your your Christian faith, like it, it's practiced much more broadly than just sort of your personal relationship with God and your relationship to your church community and your evangelism of the unbelievers in your life. You get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, no. Very, very well said. No, I'm I'm right on board with that and that's actually a pretty good segue into uh you mentioned al uh walters before and then also uh you you mentioned uh or i i brought up worldview here so we're, we're gonna talk about this uh quote kind of next here uh so this is from al walters uh professor uh at, at redeemer and author of Cre creation regained uh, the Reformed tradition is therefore a comprehensive biblical worldview that stresses the breadth of creation, the extent of the fall, and most importantly, the fact that the sal that salvation in Jesus Christ 
really means a reclaiming, a regaining of the entire length and breadth of creation with all of us, uh, with all of its cultural uh, domains. I, I, I wanted to highlight this quote specifically here. Um, I know in Redeemer, we often talk about like creation, fall, redemption uh, in, in a lot of our, our classes in, in, in context. Could you maybe speak to why is having that kind of mindset important in, in understanding Reformed theology? You mean creation, fall, redemption, glorification? You mean that? Or, or do you mean just this mm. quote? Creation, fall, redemption? Uh, uh, we, we can definitely... Yeah, yeah. But I, I maybe didn't do a good job of highlight, but a biblical worldview in general in regards to creation, fall, redemption. Okay, well... Um, yeah, okay. Now, now I get what you're saying. Well, everybody has to have a way of a, a way of understanding their place in the world, right? You have a you have to have a grid by which you understand the world and your place in it. Everybody's got a story that they're a part of, that they're living out, and um, the Reformed tradition has has understood that story to be the biblical story which can be divided into the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So we know that God created the world good. And that so there is no aspect of reality that is inherently bad. You know, the Greeks always thought that the physical realm was bad and the, the spiritual realm was good. And that got kind of taken up by the, the medieval church to some degree so that certain vocations were considered sacred and others were considered profane, right? You had this distinction between uh, nature and grace. And uh, in the reform tradition, all things were created good. And therefore there is no area of, of inquiry. There is no area of uh, work that is therefore in outside the bounds of a Christian's uh, participation. Of course, we also understand that creation is fallen. And so uh, every aspect of that good creation got tainted by sin. It's not like everything's gone as bad as it could be. Things could still be a lot worse than they are. God in his grace has restrained evil from running amok. Amen. Uh, throughout the, Amen. The, the, <laughs> thank God for that. Thank him for that. But it does mean that things mm -hmm. don't work the way they're supposed to. Right. And so... Um, you know, even in Genesis 3, we're told that uh, our work is going to be frustrating to us. It's going to be fruitless. It's not going to produce what we expect it to produce. We're going to want food and we're going to get thorns. And uh, that's a part of reality. And so so we we understand that um, we understand that that our work is is done in a context where things aren't things don't happen exactly the way they're supposed to happen. But that's not the whole story either, because we believe that Jesus Christ came into the world and he proclaimed the gospel and then he accomplished our salvation and his life, death and resurrection. And that redemption that he accomplished isn't just applied to you and me personally as individuals. That redemption that he accomplished is meant to be applied to the entire created order so that, you know, the lordship of Christ is is actually advancing over not just 
um, you know, individuals who who come to faith in Jesus Christ and therefore now submit their lives to his lordship. But his his lordship is actually advancing in the various disciplines of thought and of education and of work that were tainted by the fall. And so we can go about our our business life, our home life, our friendships, our worshiping community life, our, you know, our, our hobbies, whatever, we can go about them uh, knowing that, that Christ calls us to, to do them and live out of them in a way that is pleasing to him. And, and we are sustained in that effort because we still live in a fallen world where our work is frustrated, but we are sustained in that effort and we continue to do it because we know that one day all things will be restored finally and fully by Christ when he returns to usher in the new creation, which is this created order fully restored and, and even, even magnified beyond its created design. It's going to be even greater because redemption is greater. Restoration is greater than just the original uh, creation. So you see in Genesis, right, we have a garden, uh, where Adam and Eve are placed in a garden. In Revelation, we have a garden city, you know, where the, the new heavens and the, where the, the new creation comes together, heaven and earth come together. And so that story is the, the worldview, the, the framework from which we look at all aspects of life in the Reformed tradition. And it helps us orient ourselves to, you know, where we fit in the here and now. And I think that that's a huge deal because a lot of people are waking up every day going, what am I here for? What's the point of it all? What's my purpose in life? And a Reformed Christian, like Christians from lots of traditions, a Reformed Christian can wake up every day and say, I know my purpose. I'm here to glorify God and enjoy him forever in whatever I do. If I'm a street sweeper, or if I am a nuclear scientist, I do these things for the glory of God, and he is pleased with them. And I don't know of a better way to live your life, frankly. Whew. Pastor Paul, love it. Well, well said, well said. Um, and, and maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap into your, your pastor's heart a little bit here and just ask, so you, you, you did a wonderful job of outlining the purpose of worldview and, and uh, specifically Christian worldview and kind of where we would come from, you know, each and every day in that. I know in, in your church in Dundas, you do a lot of, like, you work with a lot of people who are not Christians, right? They're, they, they don't have a Christian worldview. How do you enter into this conversation and dialogue with someone who's not a believer in Christ? Well, you, you ask a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> so you, you ask people where they think they came from, like, where, you know, where do you think you came from? Where do you, why is there nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing in the universe? Um, where, why do you think human beings are so, uh, oriented towards beauty? Uh, if, if, if we're just sort of the product of time plus chance plus matter, you know, rep, evolutionary biology, like how does, how does beauty, how does a, our aesthetic um, impulse, uh, how does that benefit us? 
you ask people, what do they think a human being is? This is a huge question in our culture right now. Anthropology, right? Like we can say we are created in the image of God and called to reflect his character. When you're not a Christian, what what's a human? What's the body for? Like, so you ask a lot of questions and then you try to help. And this is part of the reform tradition too. There's a whole there's a whole apologetic connected to the reformed tradition called presuppositionalism. And it, and it, what it tries to do is it tries to help people see that, um, frankly, secular answers to these questions are not as satisfying or as reasonable as Christian answers are to these questions. And hopefully I'm actually doing this with a, a woman who's attending our church right now, complete non-Christian background, doesn't know a thing, nothing. But I am I am doing worldview kind of uh, education with her, and she's starting to to fit things together, and she's starting to say, "Oh, okay, they're like, okay, you guys believe that there's a there's a, a purpose to everything. There's a story here that we can live out of. That's something that's very new to her, and very attractive. Even if she's not sure she believes Christianity yet, she is certainly attracted to uh, the story of." creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It's, it's something that, uh, yeah, she finds intriguing. Intri- well, and, you know, blessings on you as you have the, those dialogues and conversations with her. That, that's, that's a phenomenal opportunity that you have. Um, and again, I, I want to respect, uh, you know, the, uh, our time together, but we, we, we don't have the, the time to go through each and every part of this article. Again, I encourage anyone listening Check out the article. I've read it through about three times. I want to read through it a few times. But one part of it I would love if we could just spend some time on is common terms here. And so every tradition, big and small, um, has uh, uh, idioms and phrases that quickly capture larger, more complex ideas. Here are some that you will likely encounter at Redeemer. And so we're we're just going to – I'll maybe talk about it, but – uh, if you could expand upon it here. So, you know, when we say all of life is worship, what are we meaning when we, when we say that? Well, we mean that, um, so what is worship? Worship is, um, essentially, uh, valuing something ultimately. So if you think of the word worship, it comes from a word worth ship. So you're declaring the absolute ultimate worth of something. And so if God is who we worship, he is the one who is ultimately worthy of our allegiance and our praise. We say that every part of our lives is meant to be an offering of praise and thanksgiving to this God and everything done from the motivation of wanting to honor God. Like Paul says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The apostle Paul says that. If, if that's your motivation, then um, then worship isn't just what you do on Sunday morning between 10 and 11. Whatever. It's also what you do on Monday between 9 to 5 at work. Uh, it's also what you do between 5 and 8 when you're hanging out with your kids and getting ready for bed and feeding them dinner, etc. Every part of our lives is meant to be an offering to God. That's that's what it means that all of life is worship. Awesome. Well said. And, and, you know, maybe that's, if you don't have kids, maybe that's as you're, you know, 
playing video games or you're playing sports or working yeah, out yeah. or you're uh you know hanging out with friends and it <laughs> yeah um yeah. and then okay the second common term we have here is um oh desk no i didn't know uh every square inch and i instinctively think of that book that we have to read in drama of scripture every square inch but that's not the necessarily the term we're referring to here um could you expand upon that uh, I, I won't say a lot because I think we've been talking about that quite a bit actually uh, mm -hmm. today. But you know, again, it's it's the idea that Jesus is Lord over every part of creation, and mm -hmm. so there's nothing, nothing out, nothing. So that means two things. One, it means that there is nothing in the created order that is inherently bad, and therefore we we shouldn't. Uh, participate in it as Christians. And secondly, it means that everything we do in whatever we are participating in the created order should be done in a way that is pleasing to him and out of a, out of a heart that wants to glorify him. Awesome. Well said, well said. Um, and then uh, our next term. So, and I've mentioned it a few times, we do have a course named after this, but the drama of scripture uh, to this here. And, and I so just to kind of paraphrase it, the Bible is God's true story of the whole world. And it can be seen as four and some say six acts. I know that's often what we do in the drama scripture course uh, in a uh, in a play creation, fall, redemption and restoration. Uh, anything to kind of expand upon from drama of scripture as a as a common term? Uh, no, no, just other than to say like really emphasize that we see this as the true story of the world. Everybody, whether they know it or not, lives out of a story. You believe you are part of a story. So if you're a secular unbeliever, you believe the story is the universe popped into existence uh, by chance. You came into existence by chance. You need to figure out your own purpose in life and meaning in life and find satisfaction in that. And then when you die, you rot and you have no self-consciousness afterwards. That's the secular story. Like most people don't want to admit that's the secular story because it's kind of depressing, but that's the secular story that people live out of, or you can live out of what we call the true story, which is the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Awesome. And the, again, there's, there's a lot of different terms in this article. Uh, and uh, the, the last one I want to go over here. Uh, and just kind of get your take on, because I, I personally, when I read this one, I, I do kind of get lost in, in the words a little bit here. But when we say sphere um, and sphere and sovereignty, and so it's a, a sphere is a realm of human life that has its own distinctive calling, authority and responsibility. God has ordered his creation such as uh, that each sphere of human life has its own purpose and uh, arena of authority, including family, school, church, and the state. You've touched on this uh, throughout our, our conversation today, but could you maybe just expand about, you know, when, when, when you, you know, if someone who's watching this is electrician, a carpenter, a retail worker, or maybe they don't find it necessarily identity in what they do in the workplace, but they're, you know, a, a leader in their, their parent school board or, or, or in their society planning a, 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 a festival. 
when we talk about that sphere, what is it referring to? Well, there are various, um, so there are various spheres in human life and various institutions that govern those spheres, right? So you have political life that's governed by governmental institutions. You have economic life that's governed by business and uh, uh, business interests, et cetera. You have family life. Um, you have uh, educational life governed by schools, et cetera. And the idea is, is that um, in each of these various spheres with, with some overlap, okay, it's not like they, they don't have anything to do with one another. Um, <clears throat> there are particular purposes for that, and there are particular uh, structures of authority within that. And just because you may have, let's say, authority in your home, uh, that doesn't mean that you necessarily play a role of having authority within the school system or within, you know, um, I don't know, within the uh, political life or something like that. And, and so <clears throat> these spheres are all meant to work together for the common good in order that we have a flourishing society, but it's a little bit of a kind of a stay in your lane thing. Like, you know, the school's job is not to raise children for parents, for example. That's a family's job. Mm -hmm. uh, and it protects against overreach. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it brings clarity to how those different spheres can work together for the for the common good of society. Well, well said. And and, and uh, Pastor Paul, just to kind of, you know, bring our, our dialogue in, into a closure. I've really enjoyed that. This has been a lot of fun. But uh, this article here, I know a lot of work has gone into it by multiple contributors. Is there anything that you would want our listeners or, or, or our viewers to, you know, specifically take away from when they read the article? I, I, so, yeah, I guess I would hope that what they can, what they can glean from this article is, it, is that it's glaringly obvious that the reform tradition is much richer than simply uh, what are called the, the theological doctrines of grace, because oftentimes to be reformed is simply considered synonymous with believing in election, for example, you know, oh, reformed people, they believe in predestination. And that's what it means to be reformed. And I hope when they read this, they see that being reformed is much richer, much thicker uh, than that. It is a, is a, a whole worldview. And I would hope that they would see that, that there are very uh, important and useful resources in the Reformed tradition for navigating a what's an increasingly complicated and difficult world. Um, that's what I would hope that they would get from reading this article. Awesome. And, and, you know, I, I would hope that, you know, after reading this article, you don't that people don't get scared away by terms like neo-Calvinism and, and, you know, reform worldview and things like that. <laughs> um, but Pastor Paul, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. Thank you for uh, lending your, your knowledge and expertise in, in, in this regards. And uh, yeah, I, I, I hope to have you on the podcast again sometime. Zach, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And I'd love to come back sometime. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Redeemer Podcast. Thank you again to Pastor Paul for coming on and helping us explore what it means to be reformed. 
We hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did. If you would like more information about Redeemer, check out our website, redeemer.ca, and you can always connect with us by email at admissions at redeemer.ca if you're interested in applying. God bless, and we'll see you in the next episode.